We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And on Friday, the Lakers helped snap the San Antonio Spurs 18-game losing streak in pretty commanding fashion. It was a wire-to-wire blowout victory. The Spurs were up by 20 after the first quarter. Lakers were without Anthony Davis and D'Lo and Cam, Gabe Vincent, of course, and just... Yeah, wasn't even that close of a game. And normally we'll dive in the next pod to kind of the details of that game. And I think we will maybe a little bit to illustrate a bigger point. But tonight's game is against the New York Knicks. And it's the 27th game of the season, not counting the IST championship game, which is kind of the one third mark of the season. And so we're going to zoom out a little bit. D. Darvin Ham has been calling this first part of the year a period of discovery. This is somewhat complicated by the Lakers' injury issues, right? And this is something that Lakers are far from alone in this respect. But I sent you guys a stat yesterday that we're 14 and 6 in the games where we're not without like four plus rotation guys, four of our top 10. But it is what it is. That's what the league is these days. And Lakers have had to evaluate within that. And I think the Spurs game and how like not really close it was even when we went on a run when they the Spurs kind of turned their intensity back up they really controlled the game in a way where I feel like if they played that game with those players a hundred times Spurs probably win like 60 of them right like that was not a good Lakers team that fielded the court against San Antonio and so I think that illustrates some of the the holes on the team and some of the needs so uh curious your thoughts d we're one third of the way through the season this has been kind of a a tryouts uh, as it were and i think we've got some more answers than we did at the beginning of the year yeah i think from a positive standpoint we've spoken a fair amount about the discovery of cam reddish and getting clarity on the things that torian prince does well Mm -hmm. ideas about where Rui is really helpful and I think that his pairing with LeBron has bore real fruit. And the idea of what sort of lineups can support LeBron and support AD, I think the Lakers have learned a lot. And mm-hmm. based off of what you said around their record when they're not down a third of their like, quote unquote, 12 potential rotation players, that they are a difficult team to beat. I think from a negative standpoint, We've learned more about the reliability of their guards. 
and what it means when their guards are on the unreliable side of the scale on any mm-hmm. given night. And I think we've gotten a better idea of what the big man rotation can do on a night to night basis and where their strengths are and where their limitations are and how um, in the big picture, like inconsistent they are. And even in the things that they do consistently well, like Jackson Hayes, for example, I think he plays with motor for pretty much all of his minutes. I think his athleticism is real and it shows up on a game to game basis. I also think that he's foul prone and that he makes sort of positional mistakes defensively and that his athleticism does not always translate to the ability to bother people in the restricted area defensively. You can go down the list of like the Lakers non-LeBron, non-AD, and to a certain extent, even like non-Austin and non-Delo players. And you can find pluses and minuses with each of those guys, some of them more pluses than minuses, and start to make shape of a pretty good team here. But Mike, I also think that we've learned that there are areas of deficiency. I thought the Spurs game, for example, was a perfect example of like where the Lakers backup bigs to Anthony Davis aren't good enough. And I think that when you saw a game without D'Lo, which mm-hmm. also could be a game where D'Lo was like not playing well, mm-hmm. and then to have Gabe not be available still, that you start to see the deficiencies in the backcourt. Max Christie, for example, is a player that as we're a third of the way through the season, it looks like you can't really give the ball to him and expect him to make a play. Like the growth that we saw during summer league where he was like an on ball player and doing on ball stuff that has not translated to serious NBA basketball. It was fine during the summer or adequate enough, but during the real season, it has not worked. He is stalled out. I feel like in some of his decision making stuff, shot pass, the types of passes he's making. I think we've learned a fair amount, but I also think the deficiency stuff that stands out to me, and I don't mean to frame the Lakers season as poor or negatively, but to get to the next level, some of these deficiencies will need to be stored up, I think. Yeah, so there are different categories for this for me. Like Max would not fit into one because he, A, there are almost no 20-year-old guards in the NBA that can carry an efficient offense, uh, particularly ones that are not even expected to do so. Uh, and that's just a case of not just Russell being out, but also Gabe Vincent um, and then Austin having cramps and, you know, LeBron, who did play 36 minutes. But so that that's one thing to separate. And then the other one would be what you were saying about Jackson Hayes, which I agree with. I just don't know that he or Christian would. And we talked about this in the offseason as the number one thing that was going to be an issue um, if it got to that point. If Anthony Davis isn't on the court, there isn't that guy you know, on the team that can even come close to replacing that. What you could do if everybody else is healthy is go to the LeBron and Rui you know, type minutes that we saw in the playoffs last year. And, and if it's a game that has to be won, I think both of those guys, particularly LeBron, can step up in certain ways defensively and at least get you through uh, and you know win a game or two. That, to me, was not going to be the issue in San Antonio on Friday. And I, as, mm-hmm. as somebody who was on that trip and was on the whole Vegas trip and texting you guys before the game, that team was as tired of a team as I've seen since essentially last year heading into the playoffs when they were you know just pushing through the finish line, trying to get these wins to stay out of the play-in territory. Um, so 
that is a that's a scheduled loss um, as as one has it uh, in the NBA. The second that I found out that Anthony Davis wasn't playing, which was about, by the way, 35 minutes before the game, because um, it was well, I guess it was a little before that, maybe 45 it was just a everything that could have gone to that one. Like all the buses were laid and weren't sure who was <laughs> playing and didn't know who was starting. Max Christie didn't know that he was starting um, when I interviewed him before the game. It was just a and the Spurs were desperate to stop their their losing streak. Uh, and and by the way, they were the game before also. And Anthony Davis had other ideas. Uh, they they are not as bad as like the Pistons right now, um, as a couple of other teams in the NBA. They've got. They've got some guys that can play, especially when Wenbenyama um, is playing at that level. You know, Vassell was hitting all of his shots. Johnson is an NBA player. Like they they had enough there uh, where they weren't like the, a laughing stock that you would think of a team that has lost that many games. And before the, the streak, like I talked to some Spurs people. This is an aside, but I don't know that there was that much trepidation as they were losing, you know, the ninth and the tenth game on that streak. Like they are clearly thinking about next year and case in point they're playing Sohan at point guard uh, it, it's just they're not so they are they weren't a serious basketball team but by the time the wins or the losing stacks up that much and they're looking over at Wemby and he's just like guys are like is this how things are here yeah. and they finally hit a point where like no so they became a serious team uh for that week uh, against the Lakers and so let, let me to to Pete to now <laughs> pull this back to your original question We've learned some things, but nothing that's really surprised that much other than an important one, which is that Cam Reddish uh, has proven yes. to have some real value, even in a starting role and his defense hitting a couple of shots like that. That's a plus. And the other minuses, I think, were somewhat expected. Uh, it Vanderbilt is still getting his way back up to game speed. He only played 13 minutes. They certainly do need Gabe Vincent, and I think that that's coming soon, but as far as where the team is record wise, while you understand it uh, and it's, you know, it's not bad, certainly, but, you know, Lakers are in eighth place, even like even with all this stuff and a, lo a lot of other teams have been banged up, too. Mm -hmm. So it's just that I think that th that's the that's to me the talking point that we got to hit on moving forward is that, sure, if they have their optimal lineups and LeBron said this, they're tough to beat. They showed that in the in-season tournament. Like they they are other than Denver, when the Lakers have played their best, nobody has really beaten them uh, in a game where they've come into healthy. That's great. But I don't think that can be assumed for the regular season. And so what are some of the things the Lakers can do to not be right back into this play in hunt? Uh, as the season goes on, since you're, you're just not going to be able to assume full health on a team like this. And that's absolutely the case, which is why I really want to focus on the backup big man spot, because that to me is probably the single greatest point of failure or potential failure with this roster. We were talking about the potential fragility of all of this. And if something happens and AD misses a, a bit of time, like what does our defense look like? Now, both of the games that we played that AD missed, we also had three other rotation guys out. So I do think the team looks a little different if it's like AD and maybe one other rotation guy, guy out, but we have everybody else. But let's take a break here. When we come back, I want to focus on that backup big man spot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, D, I thought you gave a, a good breakdown of some of Jackson Hayes's weaknesses and uh, and some of his strengths as well. But some of the reasons why his athleticism doesn't convert into uh, productivity and effectiveness, particularly on the defensive end. Um, I'm working on an LFR AD video right now, and one of the things that's cool, even about watching a guy that you see, and I've watched, you know, this is the fifth year with AD on the roster, but like slowing it down and putting all of his good plays next to each other. It's just like a whole different level of like how good he is. And one of the strongest impressions that I'm coming away with is that he allows, he, he simplifies the decisions of everybody else defensively on the court. And so what that means is this is something I learned as a coach, and this is super important going forward in the trapping style that we're going to talk more about uh, defensively going forward. But if you ever find yourself in a position on a basketball court where it's a one-on-one and you can't guard the player that's across from you, right? Like they're better than you. They have an advantage. The next thing that you have control over is which direction you get beaten. And so the most common way this shows itself in NBA coverages is weaking the screen. So weaking the screen is when there's a pick and roll right in the middle of the floor, right? Right up top. And the Weaking is done by the guard that's guarding the player that has the ball. And what it says is, we're going to send you in a certain direction. So say you're right-handed and we don't think you go left as well, we're going to weak you left. And so what that means is if the screen comes up and they're trying to send you to go to your right hand, I'm not going to let you go to your right hand. I'm going to send you left. But if the screen comes up and it sends you going to your left hand, that's fine. We'll let you use the screen. And so that's one of the ways of determining the directionality, right, of which guy gets uh, which direction the offensive player gets funneled in. If you can't guard them, you can at least send them in a predetermined direction in which you can react off of that. And so the way the Lakers get to build their defense when AD is out there, D, is that the direction we're sending you in is in Anthony Davis's direction, right? But when you play that exact same style with a Jackson Hayes, Christian Wood has different problems. Um, One of his things is his... They can attack his feet, and so he can get kind of out of position in different ways. Like Hayes can slide his feet a little better than Wood can, um, but gets you know is a little later to react and whatnot. So anyway, that changes fundamentally with the backup bigs in ways that neither of them stylistically play the same type of defense that AD does. And so, is there a way around that? Is that just something that is a personnel thing? What are your thoughts on that whole idea? I think it's great that you set this up the way that you did. Um, A, I just wanted to comment that like Anthony Davis is the Lakers security blanket defensively. Mm-hmm. So LeBron has mentioned and said this a bunch that AD is their defensive anchor and and he is. He is the guy that um, provides them all of the avenues to success that they have on any given defensive possession. Anthony Davis is the guy that's in the middle of the frame for all of 
but the things that he does defensively that account for his teammates defensive weaknesses or when they make a mistake or when they get beat those are things that no other player on the team can actually do lebron can to a certain extent but at this stage of his career he picks and chooses when those moments are going to be based off of like time score energy level all kinds of other factors so ad just makes up for so much but your framing of this is perfect because there are so many plays, man, where Jackson Hayes or Christian Wood look like they're in position to like challenge yeah. a shot. And then they actually do try to challenge a shot and like the guy gets a layup and it just seems so easy. Just seems so easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it's not this easy when Anthony Davis is in the game. Like sometimes that guard doesn't even try to take the shot. He just does the Steve Nash dribble and like dribble somewhere else or turns mm-hmm. around and goes the other direction. And if he does try to, to shoot it, AD is like challenging the shot and either blocking it or forcing a miss. There are so many plays that, that he makes. And so the idea of funneling to Wood or Hayes, I get it as like – Principally, it allows the rest of the players on the team to understand what their rotations are and what their responsibilities are because those don't change. But Wood and Hayes are not good enough to like even be like 30 or 40 percent as good as Anthony Davis is on the back line. And one of the things that I think backs that up is we played a ton of 2-3 zone even to start out that game. They went to it right away. Yeah. They went to it right away. And part of that is because like – the Spurs didn't have like that organizing factor, like Trey Jones didn't even play. They're not playing a real point guard anyway. They're not a great three-point shooting team. There's like a lot of different stuff. But what ended up happening too is just like the Lakers guards at the point of attack were getting torched by like Devin Vassell and even Branham is like getting into the paint and just shooting over the top of like Jackson Hayes just shooting a fadeaway. It's just like, bro, like this doesn't happen when Anthony Davis is in the game. And now, granted, the game before, Mike, like I thought Keldon Johnson did a pretty good job of like testing AD's medal after he had like sprained his ankle and was dealing with the hip stuff. And it was like, we're going to attack you because we know you're not 100% physically. And I thought Keldon Johnson did a pretty good job like in the fourth quarter of being like, I'm just putting my head down and I'm going to try to score the basket. And he got a few layups. But for the most part, that doesn't work against Anthony Davis. It just doesn't. But it sure does work against Hayes and Wood. and. To speak to Pete's question, you can switch up what you're going to do in terms of your defensive coverages. You can say, we're going to switch more with Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes in the game. We're going to play higher to the level of touch at the ball in order to try to disrupt the ball handler a little bit more and rotate behind that. But those aren't the things that you're doing typically. And even when you do do them, and if that's Anthony Davis who does do that stuff at the point of attack, he's still so much better than the other players that are going to do that stuff that you can find yourself getting like a false sense of security about how good these defenses actually work. Because when you swap Wood and Hazen, who just aren't as good at doing any of this stuff as Anthony Davis, it's like, oh, wait, this used to work. How come it's not working as well? And that's the problem that I feel like the Lakers are having with their backup bigs. Right. And also the backup bigs in this case are both vet mins, right? And 
this is this kind of shows what the Lakers roster is. And it again, cue the theme music behind my Anthony Davis is important and better than people realize. And he 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 allows you to distribute funds throughout the rest of the roster uh, in all of these other places because he does so much that it takes usually two players, maybe three players, maybe a whole front court to approximate what he can do defensively. And part of this is because LeBron James, especially in year 21, he is your four on defense. And, you know, LeBron, while at times can be amazing on defense, like he was in the in-season tournament, we get back to the whole thing of getting through the regular season. And, you know, he on a, on any given night can be a plus or a neutral or even sometimes a minus on defense, depending on where he's at with his legs. And that's at the four position, which is supposed to help sometimes at the five. And if Anthony Davis isn't in, and then you're you're not only you're asking Jackson Hayes or Christian Wood to do all of the things or, or at least some things that Anthony Davis does. It's just that becomes even uh, more tricky. So I get right back to this to the point from early, earlier. Do you want to use some of the resources that you have in the roster, which which now, again, you've been able to to gain some in that middle road, like the in terms of how much guys make like Russell is third. Mm-hmm. Hachimura is four. Reeves is five. Vincent is six. You know, the, none of those are big men. Uh, and Rui is kind of, but he's more of a of a wing that can like that attacks. But I'm saying defensively as a guy there. So do you want to turn at some point uh, a re- some of the resources that you're spending there into another guy that can really defend like that, or do you say if well if if it's if Anthony Davis isn't able to play 37 38 minutes, then what's the point? Because mm-hmm. the team isn't going to win anyway. Which is what you could say for any team. Uh, one of their best players uh, in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I, I'm not critiquing or criticizing what the roster build is in this case. We knew that was going to be the soft spot, but everybody's going to have one. Phoenix, for example, mm-hmm. um, who is loaded in certain ways in scoring, has a real soft spot in terms of this exact thing. They don't have an Anthony Davis type player. So they've got to cobble together. Can Nurkic somehow, you know, deter people at the rim? Can Drew Eubanks come in and do it? Can we get KD to protect the rim from the four position? Uh, they have put their assets in other places. And mm-hmm. to me, generally, it's harder to find the stuff that Anthony Davis does on a roster than it is to find the scoring, you know, and, and that kind of thing, which is one of the reasons why I value him so high. But that that's all, Pete. It's just like we we knew what the asset allocation was. And, you know, I don't know that Hayes and would have popped in the way that Reddish has, for example, to be playing more than a min, you know, uh, for a, a wing type player. I think you're getting more talent from that from, for what you're giving to Reddish, but I'm not sure it's the same with the backup bigs. I, I think you're spot on with that. And I think your question from an asset allocation standpoint is, do you look for a little bit more? It leads, I think, to Rui Hachimura, right? He's the guy that's the next big up in that respect that he's not a vet man. So let's take a break, come back, talk a little bit about Rui, the big man. Now, on the present roster, D, Rui is the guy that stands out to me as the next most logical choice. Now, if you're doing that, you're in some ways exacerbating the LeBron at the four issue that Mike was just talking about in that there are going to be some nights off and on where LeBron is not contributing around the rim defensively in ways that typically a four is asked to. And so if your five is also small, right, if in the in the idea of Rui playing at that spot, you can run into some real difficulties where it looks like 
Carmelo Anthony defending the rim a couple of years ago at the five spot, right? And so that's something that the Lakers, I think, would want to avoid, of course. But there's also the style of defense that we play with AD on the floor is that funneling too. And so to give you an example, we'll play a a decent amount of strong side zone. I was watching a clip where Kevin Durant had the ball and Austin Reeves was guarding him and Reeves was guarding him to protect a drive toward the middle and ball pressuring him. Now, if AD was not standing right behind him, KD would just drive right to the basket and dunk the ball. Um, But because AD is in that spot, it allows, and that is proper execution of the game plan. That's something that if you're not pressuring the ball or if you're letting him go middle, you're not funneling toward the strong side zone, that would be poor execution on Austin's part. So Austin's doing his job, but the point is that both the extra player that's on that side of the floor and it being Anthony Davis just changes the calculus there. And so that funneling to Anthony Davis is a completely different style of defense than the type where it's like, hey, we're not that big, so we've got to keep you in front of us and not let you get into the paint. And so I guess the point that I'm coming to is that the next guy up from a backup five standpoint is Rui, but that looks fundamentally different than what a Wood or, or Hayes look and definitely what different than what a an Anthony Davis look would look like. And so do you think that is viable on any level? I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on what a small ball group might look like. Let me get a, a quick touch in here, Darius, to kick you on it. Just I don't know that Rui has been asked to do these things because generally with what the, because generally AD's there. And so Rui, hey, get the ball. If you're open, shoot it. If not, take your smaller guy to the rim and finish. You know, on defense, rotate here. But I I just wanted to introduce that into it where I wonder if if there were a way to kind of also coach him up in this way if that if he's capable of some of these things. So I would say this too. The Lakers played this way last year, especially in the playoffs. Rui and LeBron were the anchors of a small ball front court. And that was basically what they did. And there's a way to execute that, though, that I think on this specific team needs to go a step further with the style of defense that they're going to play, because that team would still play in a drop some. Right. You can't do that. You can't do it. LeBron, especially with LeBron at this stage, is it viable? Yes, it's viable. Is it viable against all teams? No, it's Mm, not. I agree. In my opinion. People are going to think it's not viable against the teams with like the big bruisers. And to a certain extent, that's right. But I'm actually saying the opposite. I think it's not viable against the teams that have rim hunting, paint hunting off the dribble threats. Because against the Spurs, when the Lakers went small, it became a layup line at the basket. And these dudes, the Lakers guards at the point of attack were not good enough. And that's what happens when Vando plays 13 minutes because he's still making his way back and there's no Cam Reddish and your best point of attack defender is Torian Prince. And Max, even Max was getting lit up at the point of attack some. And it's just like, okay, well, if you can't trust these guys to guard, you better have size behind you just as some sort of a turret. So even if it is Wood or Hayes, it's just like at least those guys are seven feet or close to it. Just you're making me think of the Bulls model before all the injuries. So it's Lon, it's basically Lonzo and Caruso on the perimeter. And then even though they have Vucevic at the rim, which is basically like having nothing at the rim, it didn't matter because teams couldn't even get into anything because they they're were just shutting blowing off their everything water. up on the perimeter. Yeah. 
Exactly, Mike. They were shutting off their water at the point of attack. And so, Pete, the viability of this to me is as a switching group. And then outside of it being a switching group, who are the other point of attack guys that are on the floor, right? And so if you have Rui and LeBron as your quote unquote four or five, it better be like Vando and yes. like potentially yes. Cam and then like Austin or D'Lo or Gabe. Oh no, it's got to be Gabe. Yeah. No, even then, D, I think that's something that as we get reports, and I'm curious, Mike, if you have any insight on where uh, Gabe Vincent is at, but as we get closer to his return, he's the one guy of our skill guards that can do that, that I totally agree with your point that if you're going to be that at the four or five, it's also like, I think Hayes is way better at this than he is at the drops. Now, he's not a perfect switching type of player, but if you are going to switch, like I think there's less reason yeah. for him not to play. Um but if you are going to have this smaller type of group that you want to have a certain amount of spacing when you go smaller in that in that way, uh, yeah, I do think that it's essential that it's like Vando, Gabe, and you'd have to be big at that other spot. Probably Cam at that at that other spot. Yeah. And LeBron is basically your point guard in that group on offense with Gabe as the secondary ball handler. But the thing about that that's super interesting, though, is that the best versions of our defense that we've seen have been this really attacking, force a lot of deflections, steals, and blocks. Yeah. It's the other end of the spectrum. It's a different style of defense where it's more of that contained that you were just talking about, Mike, where it's like, we're going to keep, we're going to guard you, but we're going to keep you in front of us in ways that you need certain guys personnel to be able to do that but i think we've got that to a decent degree you got to be able to rotate and get to the other spots so it's just one of the things i'm curious if is that kind of the next chapter of development especially with gabe coming back relatively soon you know yeah and especially against the schedule that the lakers are about to play and talking to guys after the last couple of games it, it's like lebron himself was saying hey i've been in the nba a long time and i don't remember a ton of stretches like this and the biggest part of that is that by having to ramp up so much in the in-season tournament and then the continuing to be on the road and why like why is that so the lakers play the knicks tonight but then they go back on the road um chicago minnesota okc and while chicago's playing better you know that's that still that's a team the lakers usually seem to play well in that building but it's a back-to-back -back at minnesota who's huge um and who is has been great at home and a lot of these questions about size and and like how they can represent things when ad isn't off the court is going to show up against them and then we already saw what happened in okc at the end of a trip and then they come back and play Boston on Christmas Day and then leave again. So it's just there's no January is relief. January is this oasis uh, in the in the typical NBA schedule where the Lakers don't leave Los Angeles for the first three weeks, essentially, yeah. other than a one game trip to Utah. But I think the way that the players are looking at this and Pete, I understand I'm, I'm more adding a layer to your question than answering it. Uh, but the way they're looking <laughs> at it is just survive. Uh, like get through this period and try to get some wins on the board, try to stay where they're at. And then, you know, come to a more of a like building something stage in January when they're home, when they can practice a little bit, when they can figure out these types of things like, hey, if AD's out or um, Rui, you in the second unit, you got to play defense a little bit more like this. And who's the where's Gabe Vincent plug in and those type of questions I, right now feels more like a triage stage right. um, in, in, in as opposed to like implementing or, or inputting or um, 
um, adding uh, with what what with what they've played so far. That's super useful context, and this is all stuff that like you do need practice time and time to coordinate um, to be able to do that. So yeah, that is something that may not maybe a couple of weeks away for sure, but I do think it's on the table. I want to go back though to something here, guys, because I know Mike has said this a bunch of times, and I know inherently it's true, but the Lakers do need to get healthy if they're going to do anything, right? And so, Pete, you're talking about like, hey, next man up might be Rui. And like, sure, yeah, next man up might be Rui as like a backup big. But LeBron and Rui and Hayes, with the right complement of perimeter oh, players, they've been good. still yeah. a very good lineup. No, this and is those a great dudes, point. Injuries these, these dudes so were much, kicking, man. Yeah, yeah. They were kicking bench units' butts, man. Yeah. And so yeah. I get that in the bigger picture, finding an alternative look. And we talked about this a few pods ago where mm-hmm. I talked about like the different sorts of lineups and like a viable small lineup is super important to the success of this team. The Lakers mm-hmm. have, when they are healthy, they have a bunch of six, seven wing type dudes that it's just like, hey, Prince is a good shooter. Vando is at the point of attack. Cam is a little bit of both. And you could do all of this different stuff with these guys. Hey, Gabe Vincent, let's get him in there. Or even those groups with Austin or D'Lo as like the other guard with like a rim running big who can play pick and roll and get downhill and be a vertical spacer in a guy like Hayes. Those groups are probably going to win more on offense than on defense, but even on defense, they can do some things mm-hmm. that, that are going to make the life of the offense hard mm-hmm. if, you, if you have those disruptive guys like Cam and or Vando and or Prince. Like any combination of two of those, those three guys, they can, they can disrupt on the perimeter too. And then you still do you actually need to have just this be the small ball group like you know what i mean and and so health to me is still critical here mike since we're assuming some health how about we talk gabe vincent for a minute because it does seem that he's been going to be closer and we've just talked about point of attack defense and that is something that he has shown uh, to be capable of it i think it does present the coaching staff with the opportunity to be smaller which i don't know if that's the way Uh uh, based on Uh what we've seen for the last month and change but uh, i I'm, I'm just trying to envision some of these lineups and, and essentially who is sitting in that spot. If if you have most everybody else available and Vincent is now coming in as the backup guard, you know, next to Austin Reeves and who is going to be playing a little bit less. And then what that additional point of attack help from that spot while you're not losing shooting, um, since we know that Vincent, even though he's a kind of a rhythm shooter, can knock down shots. So, Pete, what is your initial expectation for Vincent and how he fits as he returns? Yeah, my my framing with Rui at the five is kind of tied back to Vincent's return and that you're going to have to find some minutes for him. The The first guy that I, I think is obvious whose minutes he'd take would be Max, uh, but Max is getting minutes off and on at, at this point, depending on, on health. Um, and then I do think the next guy up would be Hayes, but that's a completely different position. And like you said, it presents the opportunity for the Lakers to go smaller in ways that have been counterproductive. Also to Darius's point, like there've been some very good lineups, just be, have 
three big guys in the front court, which is something that I've been advocating that it seems like Vincent could easily be used in a way that replaces one of those guys where it's like, ah, it, you just created another problem somewhere else. But the thing to me, D, is that he is the most physical of our skill guards. And so it's something that I think we've got four basic types of players on this team in terms of the positions that they play. I think we've got three skill guards, and I'm putting the rookies to the side on this, but the uh, three st- three skill guards in D'Lo, Austin, and Vincent, then our defensive wings, and so that's Cam, uh, Vando, Max, then our bigger wings. Prince. Le- oh, Prince, thank you, thank you. Uh, then our bigger wings in LeBron, Rui, uh, or LeBron, maybe Vando would be in that category as well, right? Like mm-hmm. the bigger guys. Um, and then the bigs with AD, uh, Wood, and Hayes. And Vincent is the guy that you can put the best defensive lineup out there while still having a guy that can run ball screens. Like you give the guy, this guy, the ball and he can run something. That's something that has maintained, that they've gotten better at over the, from from the transition from last season to this season, is that like our pick and roll game is better. We've run a lot of the double drag screens, a lot of the empty side pick and roll, right? That's kind of fused more effectively with the five out type of spacing. We still have a ways to go on offense, but basically having guys who can run a pick and roll, super important on this team. And we've been down one pretty much the whole season in a way that, like you said, that Injuries can obscure, like actually Hayes has been really good in the right groups. I think that there are probably some things about this team that are better offensively, especially in the groups that have D'Lo and LeBron on the bench, that Vincent can help bridge that. But whose minutes he takes, I think that Mike's concern that it puts us into a territory where we're too small is is, is certainly valid. And that's one of the things I worry about, too. Yeah, it's tricky. And this was a conversation you and I had offline very recently, Pete, where it's just like, look, Vincent is surely going to get all of Max minutes. Like, I don't even think that that's a question. I think once Vincent is back, Max isn't going to play unless like one of Prince or Cam are hurt. Okay, I'm just going to. That's just my guess. The next place where he's going to take minutes from is either. The backup center, so the Lakers play small. He's going to take minutes from Prince or Cam, right? Which means he's going to play next to one of the other skill guards. Or he's going to have to take minutes from D'Lo or Austin. Those are literally the only places that he can take minutes from. And the point I was making to Pete offline was the place where he probably fits best is in lineups next to LeBron in place of one of Austin or D'Lo because you can still keep the identity of the team, which is playing these Mm -hmm. bigger oppressive wings with a skill guard who is your best defender of all of those three guys. And then you still support LeBron and or AD with the right sorts of players. And Vincent just steps in. But that is a great plan on the Knights particularly when D'Lo plays poorly, but on the nights where D'Lo doesn't play poorly and Austin is having your regular Austin game, and I actually don't want to cut into Austin's minutes, then it's just like, okay, well, we want to play Gabe. Where do the minutes come from? And that's where you go back to, okay, well, he's going to play next to Austin instead of Cam. 
that's going to work on some nights, but other nights it's just like, is this really the right solution? And it's a conundrum to me. I'm not saying mm -hmm. there is a right answer or a wrong answer, but we're going to yeah. see how it plays out, Mike. The last thought here, I, I just can, just from being around these guys, I, there's a there's a certain level, even the way that LeBron talks about Vincent or the way that Darvin Ham does that kind of like, He's shown us in in high stakes, the yeah. finals, et cetera, and he, that he can do it. Like we basically, he's earned trust to the to a degree that Austin has with this group, and in this by this group, I mean LeBron and AD. And then after that, it's you know what well, Rui has in the postseason in that run, but like guys that you can trust in crunch time that know what you're going to do. And I think that he come walks in with that amount of credibility, mm -hmm. and so that lineup. Be, it basically becomes Austin and Vincent and then LeBron AD. And then that fifth guy, it's, it's got to be a choice between Reddish and Prince uh, and Rui, uh, really, if you're going to have, yep. if you're going to maintain enough of that size. And I suppose in certain cases, Vanderbilt, because then you have the shooting with Gabe, um, right, in, in that in that setting. But it's, I think that adding another guy that you can finish games with um, works, yes. it just, it's going to require some other lineup uh, trickiness uh, and some other and, and trying to keep everybody happy and everybody balanced and stay big enough. It's it's like it's a good it's good in some ways, but they're also the way that the Lakers found their identity in the NCAA yep. tournament. Um, it's different. It's a little bit different from yes, that. It it's going to require some work. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of that could be a, a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, all right. Lakers play tonight uh, against the against the Knicks raising the IST banner and then we shall not speak of the IST again for a minute uh, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow to discuss how, how the you. game I, I know I'm sorry Mike how we're just putting you. it on the shelf it's it's time time to move on uh, <laughs> even when the Lakers win it and the Celtics don't look look I, I see my territory look I I thought I was a good sport with the IST. I enjoyed the IST, it's, but it's time. It's time to move on. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to discuss that and how the game went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. And shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.